0: I'd like to extend Christian greetings to each one here this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I trust He is the reason that we're here this morning. And I trust that the Spirit will work and um, enlighten us to how He wants us to live. The subject for this morning's message came from a short conversation I had with a man Oh, it must be about two months ago. I had taken a little wood down to Rice Lake to the Bessie Log Yard there. And uh, backed in up to the corner of the yard there. And around their yard they have a chain link fence. Probably five, six feet tall. And in the chain link fence they have these little plastic strips that slide in between the links. Little green plastic strips. And it makes some sort of a privacy fence. So you can't really see through the fence. It keeps... The outside world and the inside of the log yard kind of apart there. And I had gotten down off the loader, walked around the back of the truck, and this right outside the fence was the sidewalk, and then on the other side of the sidewalk was a street. And this man comes along the fence, it looked like he might have been out for a jog or walking for lunch or something. And he peers up over the fence, and I just remember, the top of those chain link fences are, they're cut right in the middle of the, where they twist, and they have a sharp, sharp point there. And he stopped outside the fence and he had his hands up, fingers in between those sharp points, peering over top of the fence. And I remember the first and the last things he said. I don't know that I remember. I don't I can't tell you what else he said. But the first one was, how's work today? Just popped up over the fence. How's work today? Oh, we made some small talk and and um, had maybe a minute conversation. And it was the day of the Robert Mueller Hearings on Capitol Hill, where he was there to talk to the Congress and Senate about his involvement in the investigation into the president. So it, he had been listening to it or watching it before that. So he went kind of that way. He was very careful politically not to not to come across on one side or the other. And um, as he turned to go, he said, "You know, it's kind of like finding the perfect church." It's perfect until you get there. And with that, he was gone. And I had to think about that as I left there. And I thought about that a lot since. Um, there's there's two ways to look at that comment or to take that comment. The one is look at in, looking at it from the inside out towards the people that are on the outside of you and and um, as you learn to know people, you learn to know their challenges, their struggles. And when things happen, or when you have challenges with people, we tend to or I tend to pick these people apart kind of, and put this there and categorize their actions and justify them or unjustify them or judge them. It's a human tendency. And I just use that word tendency. I'm not sure I like that word tendency. I think sometimes we use that word tendency. And instead of the word tendency, we should say, instead of saying, I have a tendency to judge somebody or I have a tendency to do something that's not right. I think we should. I think it might help us if we say, but I'm tempted to do this or that, or I'm tempted to judge somebody or I'm tempted to do something I shouldn't do when I find myself in a situation. But we do have we we I do have that that um, I face that temptation when things come up to look at people and try to pick them apart. But the other way to look at the the um, the comment that the man made is to look at myself, and I think that's the only way that this is that to go through life. The way Jesus wanted us to is to look at ourselves first, to have ourselves in the will of Christ. The title of the message I, I titled Impacting the Kingdom. Now, there's many subtitles or many other titles you could have. I could have given this one of them is impacting the church or if we keep breaking it down, impacting our, our family, our lives at home, impacting our workplace where we go, the decisions we make have an impact. And we saw that in our Sunday school lessons. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, the decisions that Eve made, that Adam and Eve made, impacted the, their children's lives. And we, this morning, are part of their children. Um, we'll be looking at the life of Cain in a little bit as a negative, as a negative example of, 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 of a way to make decisions. But just some some different ways that we impact the lives we're in our family Our church our workplace and ultimately the kingdom That's why I gave it the title impacting the kingdom because I think we need a kingdom outlook in life. We need to understand What we're doing? With our daily lives we need to understand that everything we do impacts The kingdom that we're serving in and jesus said my kingdom is not of this world we are part of Jesus' kingdom. So we need, to, we, we need to understand that the kingdom we're serving is not one how society around us is living, but one how is the kingdom is Jesus, one that we're living for in the next life. The definition of the word impact, one of the definitions, is to have an effect on. Um, as we, we live our lives, um, day-to-day the the decisions we make the things we do or don't do have an effect on or they have They have an effect on the outcome of our lives the way we live our lives have an effect on the kingdom that we are part of I'll be taking I'll be looking at Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 as an instruction for how to live our lives but before I get to there, I'm going to look at two characters in the Old Testament, both in Genesis. The one is Cain, and the other one is Joseph. I'm just going to read the accounts. The first one is Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 16. It's the account of Cain and Abel. And how Cain acted when he was faced with something that he didn't like. Genesis chapter 4, begin reading in verse 3. I'll read through verse 16. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. We see here Cain was... Um. A very selfish person, a very self-centered person. But we aren't that far from a Cain. I'm not that far from a Cain. He was faced with a time in life where his brother was accepted by God and he was not. Because of something, of choices that they made. Abel chose to give a sacrifice of blood, which was accepted. Cain chose to not. And we can make excuses for Cain. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He he, he brought what he had, and and um, and Abel brought what he had. But at the end of the day, from some some I got some of these thoughts from commentaries that I read. He should have. He was taught better. From it, it is thought that he would have been taught better. That he knew exactly what was going on. And because of the knowledge he had, was some of the reason that he felt condemned in the in the sacrifice that he brought. And in, in looking at his response to bad things in life, I had to I had to um, think about the impact that had on him and the rest of his the rest of his descendants. Ultimately, it is it is my understanding that they would have all perished in the flood. Um and that Noah would have been a descendant of Seth, another of Adam and Eve's sons. But I guess the the um, the the main thing that I would like to take from from the life of Cain is the the idea of how he viewed life around him and his 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 brother, his family, the other people around him in. In a, it's all your fault kind of attitude. We see there when God came to him after he had slain Abel, when God came to him and talked to him, his response was, was not, was not good. It was not right. And ultimately he was, he was chased from the presence of God. He was, in verse 16, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And isn't that kind of the way it is when we refuse correction? we just make things worse for us we multiply the outcome the the, um, the adverse outcome that we have already set ourselves up for when we refuse correction we're going to go to genesis chapter 37 i'm going to read the whole chapter of genesis chapter, of genesis 37 it's a story of joseph and how he reacted one of the instances of, of how he reacted to Adverse conditions in his life Genesis chapter 37 verse 1 And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan These are the generations of Jacob Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren And the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpha his father's wives And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a coat of many colors and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not. And I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped dipped the coat into the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar an officer, of Pharaoh's And captain of the guard Now the story of Joseph goes on We all know how it went for him from there How he Because of the right decisions he made In some very bad situations He found himself in Still decided to do the right thing And because of that In the end his whole family The children of Israel Were saved in the time of famine. In the time of famine Going back to Chapter 37 there's just want to look at some of the decisions that were made here. One of the decisions were made was was the one between Joseph's father and him. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a coat of many colors. He singled Joseph was unfairly singled out with favor, you could say, in his in 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 his father's old age. Um now that may or may not be We have to leave that as it is. We can't really judge whether that was the right thing to do or not. But from that, his brethren had a decision to be made. Or faced a decision. They had to make a decision. Now, there's a verse that speaks of his brothers, if I can find it here. Verse 5, it says, and they hated him yet the more. In the last phrase of verse 2, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. His brothers were already the type of people that had an evil report about them. So... We see here the decisions they made about Joseph going from there were likely just an outpouring of their character, of the character they already had within them. It turned into envy or jealousy over Joseph when he came to them, describing his dreams. Whether Joseph meant the someone commentary I read would have given the idea that Joseph was a little bit of a braggart and was probably the the the. Um, the cocky little brother, if you will, and he had these dreams. And I don't know, maybe back then dreams had more impact than on, on how you thought about life or how you looked at life than they do now. But it bothered his brothers that he told them these dreams. And they, in turn, made some bad decisions. And in the end, they ended up, unlike Cain, they didn't slay him. They wanted to. But because of a decision that Reuben made... His, I believe it was his oldest brother He actually wasn't killed But he was sold as a slave And I had to um, I kind of had to I I thought it was interesting The verse where they decided not uh, Not to kill him But to sell him instead 26 And Judah said unto his brethren What profit is it if we slay our brother And conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites And let not our hand be upon him Let's get some money out of this deal, you know? And that's one area that in my life, we live in a society where money makes us do some really weird things. And I'm not exempt from that. That is, that is just, I had to think about that, you know? That went all the way back to that, to, to these people. And one of their decisions they made was based, based on the fact that they could profit from it. Okay, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. I'll be reading the first 10 verses, verses out of Galatians chapter 6. Thinking of our own personal impact that we have on the church, um, on our families, on, on the people that we are around in life. I'll be looking at verse 4 especially, but let every man prove his own work. But I'm going to read the first ten verses. Brethren, if I be if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Verse 4, but let every man prove his own work. As you think about your lives and and looking at yourself, looking at at the impact you make on the people around you, on your church, on on the kingdom of God, on your family. Um, we 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 look at what we do, and and in verse four, but let every man prove his work. The idea of proving your work. You get the if I can, I'm going to try to summarize some of the some of the thoughts that I that I gleaned from the Matthew Henry commentary. He had a. He put it in a way that I'm not sure that I can, but without reading what he just reading from the commentary here, I'm going to try to share some of the thoughts. But when we when we prove our own work, we look at our own actions and behavior and we 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 examine them side by side with what God's teachings are, with what God Teaches us in His Word. We look at them to see how they line up. And, and he sets he sets this up in in the first three verses of the chapter, verse three especially. I'm going to look at that. I'm just going to read from the commentary here what he what he actually said about verse three. It, it deals with how we think of ourselves, and and he set up verse four by describing verse 3 and, and the first two verses as well in how we talk to somebody that has been overtaken in a fault. I'm going to read what Matthew Henry had about verse 3. It takes, in verse 3, takes care to caution us against this. And he's speaking of caution us against judging or against, against being tempted in verse 1 like, like the brother that he was talking about. He supposes it is a very possible thing, and it would be well if it were not too common for a man to think himself to be something, to entertain a fond opinion of his own sufficiency, to look upon himself as wiser and better than other men, and as fit to dictate and prescribe to them, when in truth he is nothing, has nothing of substance or solidity in him, or that can be a ground of the confidence and superiority which he assumes. To dissuade us from giving way to this temper, he tells us that such a one does but deceive himself while he imposes upon others by pretending to what he has not. He puts the greatest cheat upon himself, and sooner or later will find the sad effects of it. Now, if I understand that, what we do... When we think in verse three, when we think of of us, of ourselves, something that we're not the, the, the greatest cheat or the greatest injustice is done to ourselves. That was a challenge to me as I read that, that when I actually put myself up somewhere where I don't belong and especially over someone over a brother or someone around me as being the superior person, the greatest cheat is to myself. This will never gain him that esteem, either with God or good men, which he is ready to expect. He is neither the freer from from mistakes, nor will he be the more secure against temptations for the good opinion he has of his own sufficiency, but rather the more liable to fall into them and to be overcome by them, for he that thinks he stands has need to take heed lest he fall. Instead thereof of indulging such a vainglorious humor, which is both destructive of the love and kindness we owe to our fellow Christians and also injurious to ourselves, it would much better become us to accept the apostles' exhortation. And this is found in, in Philemon 2.3, I believe it is. Do nothing through strife nor vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself. And then he finishes the thought Self-conceit is but self-deceit It is As it is inconsistent with that charity We owe to others For charity vaunteth not itself Is not puffed up from First Corinthians 13 The thought there That I would like us to take Is that When we think of ourselves Something we're not We only hurt ourselves We hurt ourselves the most And we open ourselves up To more temptation. Because of where we've put ourselves that we shouldn't be. Verse 4, but let every man prove his own work and then show he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. The last part of that verse shall have rejoicing in himself when you prove your own work. And I think we all know what it's like to. To have the good feeling of knowing that we did something right. That we sp- responded to a situation in the right way. That we made the right decision. It makes us feel good. It makes you feel good inside to, re- to, to come out of a situation knowing you did the right thing. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. There's, there's a number of other ways that we can, that we can prove our work. Um one of the one of the some of the a few of the most apt ways that I am is to compare my work with another's instead of comparing it to to Christ we compare our work with another's and um another another way is to like the Pharisees did and the Sadducees that Jesus had the harshest words for or the false teachers was to One way they gauged their own success was to see how many people they could get to bring in, how many people they could bring in to see how many people they could get to think like they thought. They weren't, they were not right and it was, they gauged their own success by how many, how big a following they could get, the false teachers. And and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. When we when we rejoice because of being better than our equal, we compare ourselves among ourselves. Our rejoicing is because it involves what another person was not doing, or what we were doing that another person was not doing. That's not what we want. We want to have that feeling. We want to walk away from a situation, having the feeling of knowing. That we did what was right. That we responded the right way. A few weeks ago, my sister is a secretary at her at their business. There, they have a sawmill, and she does some of the bookwork. And um, there was a sticker attached to a check that came in, and she took a picture of it and sent it to. And I think she posted it maybe on the family, on the family group text. It said. Every job is a self-portrait of the person who does it. Autograph your work with excellence. And I had to think about that. Um, when you think about your job or your impact that you make, what does it say about you? It's a self-portrait. It's a picture of you. How well you, how well you do what you do, how well you do for Christ what you do is, um, is a picture of you. Going to go to one more scripture to get an idea of as we, as we work for Christ, as we look at ourselves, and, and we touched on what, what we're, need, what we need to do. We need to take an inside look at ourselves and we need to consider our own works. But I want to look at, at how God expects us to, what kind of urgency, if you will, that God um, expects out of us as we as we do this thing of serving Christ, and I'm going to be reading a few verses Ephesians chapter four one through six. I'm reading this book right now, the Peacemaking Church. It is written by Curtis um, Heffelfinger. Uh, just got into it. has some really good points. Um, he is a pastor. has been a pastor of the orlando grace church i think it is orlando grace church and um he's been involved in a lot of church issues a lot of things a lot of church problems where where people weren't getting along and he's speaking here of 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 not holding back of giving your all to what you're doing and this, I'm thinking more of, of our spot in the church at this point. The things that, the things that come up, the opportunities that we have, that we're, the, the responsibilities that we're given, how we should look at them. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, and this is not the King James version. I'm not actually sure which version he uses here. Um, in verse 3, the beginning of verse 3, and we'll uh, take a look at that word. The word is eager. Um, and when I get to that, 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 um, if you think about it, think about that word and and what it means, what how it, um, what 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 it looks like to you when you're eager to do what he follows up that word with. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which ye have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as, you, just as you were called to be to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the word used in the King James Version, Chapter 4, verse 3 is endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I'm just going to read a page out of this book, what he has to say about this word. He says, camp out with me for a moment on that word eager in verse 3. Paul argues that a life gripped by the gospel of Jesus will, among other things, demonstrate itself in an eagerness for keeping the peace in the body of Christ. The word for eager in the original text is the same word translated, do your best in 2 Timothy 2:15. It shows up again in 2 Peter 1:5 through 7, translated a bit differently, but conveying a similar idea included in a list of highly desirable virtues in a believer's life. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And if I understand this correct, this is 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Be eager. Do your best. Make every effort. These are multiple ways of saying virtually the same thing. They all capture the verb's urgency regardless of the subject under consideration. The Greek word comes from a root that means to run or make haste, to hurry about something. It communicates the idea of speed, urgency energy, a vigorous pursuit of something. Theologian Marcus Barth nailed it with his assessment of this word. So important to each of these, so important to each of these contexts. And this is what the theologian had to say about, about this word, the word that the Greek word where that was, that was used for in, instead of eager, it is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant. Involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood of the particle, of the par- participle found in the Greek text excludes pas- pass, passivity, passivity, quietism, a wait and see attitude, or a diligence tempered by all deliberate speed. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. Such are the overturns in verse 3. And verse 3 is talking about pursuing the unity of the church or the unity of the brotherhood. In closing, in case you're wondering now, where do we get? How do, how do we live as an individual? Where do we get instruction we get it from the bible but i just had to think about there's nothing there's no instruction i don't think better than from jesus christ himself and when he was when he when we were on the mount of olives and he was preaching the the sermon on the mount when he goes down through the list he said blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the merciful and the whole list there if you ever find yourself wondering what kind of person am i to be you find yourself in a spot in life where Maybe, you, maybe you're kind of stale or you're confused about how to move forward. If you read over the, that list of qualities that Jesus says you have, that you're blessed for having, I don't think there'll be any shortage of work ahead for us to endeavor to keep ourselves or, or an example for us to be like. If you're able, let's kneel for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together like this in your house this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the direction we find in your word. We just pray that as we walk this journey of life, that we would allow ourselves to be led by your spirit, that we would allow ourselves to look into your word and apply your word to our lives, so that the impact we have on your kingdom ultimately, but on the people around us in this world, would be a positive impact, one that would help other people, one that would make the journey easier for those around us and draw in more people from from the outside of your of your kingdom, from, from your church that don't know you, ultimately so that their souls could be saved. Just ask that you would go with us today. Bless each one for coming out and and um, just go with us and, and keep us in your care and keeping. I see fears and blessings in your name according to your will. Amen.